just once in a lifetime does a podcast come along that pushes the boundaries of the medium that redefines what it is to be an internet radio broadcast that touches us reaches into us inspires us teaches us that causes us to re-examine just who we are and why we are that expands our horizons that makes us completely rethink our destiny in this cosmos and our place in the grand design just once in a lifetime but while we're all waiting for that podcast to be invented why not give a listen to hey kids comics Hey Kids Comics is a smart, fresh, and hilarious podcast that looks at all kinds of fun and interesting topics related to the ever-evolving world of the comic book art form. You can find Hey Kids Comics at aplayland.podomatic.com. That's Hey Kids Comics. Sorry. Come on, how awesome was that? Has that become a thing now? Well, it's alright. It's alright. Have I started a fashion? You've started, that's our new t shirt. Or is it just everyone taking a mick out of me? No, no, we would never do that to you. Never. Ever? Ever. Oh, okay. We, we, we would never take the mick out of you. That was fantastic, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I think that should become our new trailer. It should. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Now go do some work. Season 4 of Hey Kids Comics and a month-long celebration of my all-time favourite comic book hero and arguably favourite fictional character ever! Not Eva. Evers. Evers. The amazing Spider-Man. Now I know what you... The sensational Spider-Man. And the spectacular Spider-Man. Or the ultimate Spider-Man. Or the Marvel team-up. Or the Avenging Spider-Man. All of those things. Or the Peter Parker Spider-Man. Or the adjectiveless Spider-Man. Or the Scarlet Spider. I quite like him. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Um, We're going to do something uh, a little different over the next five weeks. Something that we've not really done before. Just to mess you all up. Yes, to mess you all up, yeah. Celebrating a single character rather than a storyline or event. Over the coming weeks, we'll be doing our level best to forget the god-awful suit that Andrew Garfield's wearing in the upcoming movie. I like it. You like the suit? I don't mind it, yeah. I'm casting, casting. I'm casting out for a new co-host. That suit's awful. Okay, I'm, I'm all right with it as long as there's no nipples on it. 
there is that, I suppose. I mean, the film may be good in every other respect. Maybe, maybe it'll grow on you. It hasn't like done yet. Like a fungus. Every time I look at it, I just think that suit's awful. Okay. Um, what were we doing? Oh, yes, we, we've kicked off season four purely arbitrarily. Yeah. If I'd been thinking about it, we would have actually released the last two holiday episodes as the season finale, but we didn't. No. Because I don't think that far ahead, obviously. Well, no. Uh, over the coming weeks, we'll be looking at the very best interpretation of the character, the comics. We'll be looking at comics from different eras of our web-slinging wonder from the 60s to today, culminating in a final show that will look at my all-time favourite top ten issues of Spider-Man. Ever. Ever. Evers. Forevers. Evers. Along the way, Michael's going to chip in. Yeah. Probably talking about the PlayStation games, one would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that all I get it's from you? Because I, I, I don't I don't have any favourite issues. Of Spider Man? Yes. I have but failed probably as a not parent. ten. You you couldn't go up with ten years. The guy's been around for fifty years. This is its fiftieth birthday. And you couldn't go up with ten favourite Spider Man stories. Tonight Gwen Stacy died. Isn't that everybody's top ten favourite Spider Man story? Well no, it was mine because like I've said before I got none to read it. Man. And I liked that how there's, there's a cartoony Spider-Man show at the moment, and yet I'm reading an issue where someone dies, and it was really cool. Which issue? Not Gwen Stacy, though. Oh. Because I had it in the annual. Oh, right, yeah, my annual, from yeah. about 1982 or three or something. It's a very good annual, that. Yeah. Reprints that in The Goblin's I'm, Last Gasp. I'm sure there's an Ultimate Spider-Man story in there. Yeah, I don't care about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've not told everyone who we are. I'm sure if they listen to us, they know by now. Ah, but it's the first episode of a new season. And we're whoring ourselves out to hopefully capitalise on the popularity of an upcoming movie. Ah, right. So there may be new people listening. And we would be happy to have them, wouldn't we? Until they go away at the end of the Spider-Man stuff. No, they wouldn't. They would stick around. Would they? I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, where else could you get such free entertainment? Every other podcast on the internet. (laughs) Yes, okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm Andrew Leyland, just in case you are new to the show. And uh, I'm Michael Leyland. My very own spin-off. Eee. Eee, see what I did there? Did you like that? It was very good. It was alright, wasn't it? Um, I've gone into detail before. Am I the marvellous Michael Leyland? You would be the marvellous Michael Leyland. And I could be the amazing... Yes, oh, I do like that. There wasn't a marvellous Spider-Man, though. No. But I, it's yes, it's it it still works. Okay. Okay. Um, as I was saying, I've gone into detail before on the show of my introduction to Spider-Man. How my well, here we are me, again. Are you going to let me talk tonight, or are you just going <laughs> to trample all over my anecdotes? Oh, now he shuts up. <laughs> now he doesn't say anything. Okay, go, go okay, on then. All right. I've told, In your own time. I have mentioned the story, but you're not going to know because repetition is funny. Okay. Um, uh, my nan. Oh, no, it's funny. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to smack you. Uh, my nan tells me the story of how, while still in my high chair, I would watch the old cartoon show, how I quickly discovered the comics thanks to the UK reprints, and my nan ordering them from the comics. Loads of my British reprints have Smith still written in the corner. Okay. Uh, and the annuals from every Christmas, and how he's the one character I've stuck with through thick and thin. Sometimes thin. Sometimes Mostly thin. Mostly thin. Mostly thin. Uh, I identified with Peter Parker. I didn't grow up with my parents, although I wasn't an orphan. Uh, I related to his problems with school and friends. I wasn't a loner, nor did I get bullied. But like Peter, I often felt alone in a crowd. It wasn't until my late teens, early 20s, before I came out of my shell and got some confidence, which often people find very difficult to believe. That you were confident? That I wasn't. 
Oh, right. When I was a teenager. Fair and right. even now, it's all bravado. Oh, is it? Yeah. I, I still can't order a Subway from a sandwich. <laughs> you still can't order a Subway from a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can't, can't speak. I, I can't tell the difference between a Subway or a sandwich. It's like... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which one has trains and... Which one's a train? Which one has people who uh, yeah. don't understand? That. Even when I dropped out of comics, I always you did what went back to Spider-Man. Even during the Clone Saga, I read Untold Tales of Spider-Man. I have fond memories of Spider-Man from picking up my first US comics, Just which not were the, uh, Spider-Man Clone Saga. Uh, well, we'll be discussing that over the coming weeks. Oh, okay. We'll be discussing the Clone Saga and my thoughts on that. So you don't want to shoot your load too early. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, do you not remember as well? Spider-Man, we watched the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie in Universal Studios in 2002. Yes, I On know. opening weekend. And do you remember what I was doing? What? Sitting in the chair in the cinema, gently rocking backwards and forwards, going, please don't suck. Please don't suck. Please don't suck. Please don't suck. Remember that? Um, I, I remember the corridor being completely black, so me and Adam were stomping around in our flashy sketches. Yes. That flashed. How did you meet Spider-Man, Michael? Um, I didn't. He was the... He was always there. He was always there, like that uncle that you don't really talk too much, but he's always there. Excellent. I'm glad I've got you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of the things I'm going to try and do in the upcoming weeks is to give some love to stories that are favourites of mine that may not have, in my opinion, ever been given their due. Some all-time classics will, of course, get a mention, but this is my Spider-Man recollections, my favourites, and by and large, the stories that mean something to me. Uh, we're just going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with the first one on the docket, Spectacular Spider-Man Magazine, number two. Don't go away. My name is Steve Lacey, and I'm a podcaster. Randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me, listen, please, is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20 Minute Long Box. The 20 Minute Long Box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com, the show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com, or search for 20 Minute Long Box on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. So why was it a magazine and not a comic? Um, because, so the story goes... Oh, and we're back. Um, so the story goes... He says, as he gets hold of his uh, spectacular Spider-Man magazine number two, that um, in the late 60s, Marvel had quite a, a large college appeal. Okay. Largely fabricated by Stan, it has to be said. And so they launched themselves onto the newsstand with spectacular Spider-Man um, magazine number one that was in black and white. Okay. That issue would ultimately be chopped up into three Right. and serialised in Amazing Spider-Man with some bits redrawn and some pages added to make it fit into normal continuity. Okay. This second issue yeah. was not. This was never dropped into regular continuity uh, like that first one was. So it made this one something of a rarity. Oh, so this one is a standalone issue that yeah. doesn't... Yeah, it, it get mentioned, I think, in Amazing Spider-Man 60-something. 
Yeah. And then it would be reprinted in Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number Nine. But again, we'll be talking about that later. Okay. Uh, I first read this in edited form in glorious monochrome in the Spider-Man Summer Special 1982. Now I know what you're thinking, and you're right. Right. What the hell is Spider-Man Summer Special? Thank you for that. Well, I'll tell you. Well, I know what it is. I've got... Shut up! Don't ruin it! <laughs> you return to the... Don't ruin my perfectly scripted... Winter special ...ad-libs. <laughs> a Spider-Man Summer Special. There's a large portion of our audience who are A, young, and B, not of this country, who may not know what Summer and Winter Specials were. Were so these I'm going specials to tell that were released during summer. summer and winter by Spider-Man. Yeah, well, I can just scrap four pages of notes, though, then. <laughs> a spectacular Spider-Man summer special was a special edition of a comic that came out in summer. <laughs> Genius! <laughs> Why do they come up with these titles? Well, like Justice League Quarterly. Yes, right. it's, it's a quarterly comic about the Justice League. It's brilliant. In a Spider-Man title. Yes, fantastic. Uh, published by Marvel UK, they weren't full colour, at least not initially, and they weren't hardbacks like the annuals that came out in Christmas, but they were much thicker than our usual comics and full magazine-sized. Every now and again, just to confuse us, they do winter specials following the same format. Uh, these were published between 1979 and 1987, and I had about nine of the 16 issues that were published. You can look them up on the internet, they're worth looking up. Um, the cover to this one, the seventh issue published, although they never had any numbers on them, was innocuous enough and gave the purchaser no clue to the sheer magnificence awaiting inside. The cover was blue with a repurposed Ditko Spider-Man, actually from the cover to Amazing Spider-Man number 38, with the same cover copy. Here's Spidey at his fighting best, but he was surrounded by stills from the Nicholas Hammond starring TV show uh, and one still from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Eclectic. Okay. It cost a whopping 35 pence. How much? 35 you want to see comics of your like British pence. Comics aren't that much anymore. I think you'll find they're a bit more than that. Uh, so how come your cover's not like that? How come my what's not like that? Your cover's not like that then. Because I don't have that anymore. Anymore? I don't have any of my UK British Spider-Man comics anymore. Oh no, they're all crap. What? <laughs> they, they were not crap. They had some fantastic artwork that, that was never published anywhere else. I, I dug out loads of boxes and they're all flimsy and smelly and black and white, which I wasn't a fan of at the time when I found them. Philistine. I, I like black and white now, depending on how it's used. Well, because you've matured. Uh, the story <laughs> reprinted. Yeah, that is debatable. Uh, the story reprinted was the aforementioned Spectacular Spider-Man magazine number two from from November 1968. Although my copy has August 20th, 1968 stamped on it on the cover. Though, can you see that? That's ruined. That it's ruined. It's that not, it's not main condition. I know. Right? Cool. Uh, this story blew me away as a kid. It was a fully-fledged, untold tale of Norman Osborn. <laughs> Long dead by the time I started reading the comics. And I thought it was a corker. It was only many years afterwards I discovered that the story was truncated, and I tried desperately to hunt down the original with no success, certainly not for a decent price, until eBay rocked up, and I finally glommed onto a copy of this. The cover is, in a word, 
gorgeous. It's a fully painted number by John Romita of the goblin shooting sparks out of his glove at Spider-Man who cowers in the glow. It's over the New York skyline and the cloudy skies in the background are beautifully rendered. It may be Romita's single best cover and that's a hugely competitive field. Tell me what you didn't like about it, Michael. No, I liked it. Did you? Mm. I'm shocked. What did, what did you like about it? It's very realer. It's very really. Well, yeah, because <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> well, be, being a fan of Alex Ross, it's got that vibe to it. Mm, it does. It very certainly Spider Man looks very real, doesn't he? Yeah, it's very, I, very. I good do indeed. still want to know uh, how Green Goblin's shooting sparkles out of his finger. Um, he has funny weapons in his gloves. Is it Fantasia Green Goblin? How do you mean? Well, when Mickey shoots the the fireworks out of his Oh, hands. right, yeah. I suppose it could be. And is that, like, white bit meant to be there? Yes, um, I managed to get this off eBay, as I said. I didn't pay a huge amount of money for it. And it's not in awful condition. It's got that stamp on the front that I've meant, and somebody's put, like, a little number two on it in pen. Oh, it's a tell. I thought it was a scribble. There's a little scuff mark just underneath the goblin's glove. Um, I don't care. I can live with it. I managed to get hold of a copy of this. I am removing it from its Mylar bag. And I'll just chuck that out of the way, even as we speak. Um, it's a lovely, square-bound, magazine-sized comic. It's still not the same size as our magazines, is it? Our magazines are slightly bigger than this. But um, it's fantastic. It's really, really good. It starts on the inside front cover, despite boasting that it's in colour. Oh, and my cover's ripped a bit, though. Which I'm sure it wasn't. No, it was. Yeah, it better... It was. If you damage this, I'll be very <laughs> unimpressed. Told you before, you hold him like a woman. Okay. Mm. Um, it, 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 I mentioned that it was in full colour. Apart from the, the opening page, are you sure that was already... I am sure it was like that. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't. I'm sure it was. This will have to be sealed away and never touched again. Yeah. <laughs> Vacuum seal it. Um, the front page, as I keep trying to say, is not in colour. It's a, a monochrome grayscale thing, recapping the origin of Spider-Man in full monochrome page. Grayscale. Mon- monochrome grayscale thing. You know what I mean? It's black and white with a bit of grey in it. Uh, interestingly, Harry Osborn is depicted as being in high school with Peter here. That's interesting. It is because he isn't. Is he not? Harry Osborn did not go to high school with Peter Parker in the comics. Okay. I thought that was interesting. Tons of people are credited on the next page, with it being the first page of the book. But the important one. Uh, writer and editor Stan Lee with John Romita, Jim Mooney and Frank Gaia Oddly, Superman creator Jerry Siegel gets a credit under research and advisory. Okay. I thought that was a bit strange. Maybe he did some research and Maybe advisory. Maybe he did some research and advisement, yes. I like that front page. I like that front piece. It's very good. Cover painted by John Romita gets a special credit, as it should. Oh, we're gingerly turning the pages on this one, aren't we? <laughs> Uh, the story is entitled The Goblin Lives, and according to Spiderfan.org, is the first in-continuity appearance of the Green Goblin since issue 40. I thought it was an in-continuity. It is in-continuity, but it's quite hard to explain. It never got repurposed in Amazing Spider-Man like the other issue did. Right. And so because it didn't appear in Amazing Spider-Man, this was generally considered a lost tale for a long while. Uh, and by and large, you can really ignore it. it yeah because it ends exactly as it began yeah so um at the New York exclusive executive club detective George Stacy gives a lecture on the history of supervillains 
I don't know why you'd be doing that, do you? How do you get to be a part of the uh, exclusive executive club? I don't know, because Peter and Harry seem to be there. Yeah. And I would imagine that they're not members. Probably not. Yes. Okay. Actually, it does say on the first page that Norman invited them to be his guests. Right. Which is convenient for purposes of plot. No, yeah. I think you'll agree. Um... On the screen, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, which we are told is a fight, is still studied by criminologists. Whilst in the audience, Peter Parker, Jonah Jameson, Norman and Harry Osborn, plus a few red shirts and no marks. Notice the choreography. <laughs> this fight is almost like a dance. Do you think that's what he says? Probably. It would be funny if he did. Um, if I have to tell you Peter Parker, Spider-Man and Norman Osborn was the Green Goblin, well, I guess I have to tell you that Peter Parker, Spider-Man and Norman Osborn was the Green Goblin. I would imagine that you'd know that listening to a comic book podcast, but it's possible that you I don't. I thought Spider-Man so. was Bruce Wayne myself. Did you? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that's Bruce Banner. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Norman seems to be having a fit and notes that it happens every time he hears the Green Goblin's name. Only Peter knows why. Whilst the Goblin is believed to be dead, perished in the fire at Osborne Chemical Plant, Peter knows that the Goblin is alive and well and merely suffering from amnesia. Norman's fits continue and he passes out. Fortunately, there is a doctor present and Norman is given a sedative. Peter takes his leave but frets that Norman may be recovering his memory and so drops by to visit his Aunt May. Meanwhile, Norman's haunted by dreams and he awakens knowing the truth. The goblin didn't die, for he is the goblin. Quickly dressing, he follows his instinct to many of the hidden lures hidden about town, where he once again dons the costume of the green goblin, vowing, Revenge! 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 And now we're cooking, huh? Okay. The next day at Empire State University, Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy talk about Harry and Norman with Peter so distracted in class that they head over to Norman's place after school to learn how he is, only to learn that Norman has in fact gone AWOL. Peter ditches Gwen, blowing off a definite shag in the process, and spends the night fretting, even dreaming, that the goblin captures him and unmasks him in front of Aunt May. So he ditches Gwen Stacy to dream about an older guy. In a skin-tight costume. He's rich, I suppose. Who, who symbolically castrates him by ripping off his costume, thus re- revealing him to be impotent and helpless. Or am I reading too much into this? <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's quite an interesting reading. It's quite an interesting theory. <laughs> yeah. Having had enough, Peter dons his Spider-Man togs and searches the city to no avail. But all the time, the goblin watches, bides his time, and waits. Later that day, Norman returns home and tells Harry he's feeling fine. He says he's feeling so fine that he wishes to throw a little get-well dinner, and he wants Peter, Gwen and Murray Jane there as well. Why does he need a get-well dinner if he's fine? Why does he need Murray Jane, though? I don't understand that, but whatever. Harry invites Peter. Does he have a wife? No, it's Gwen that he hates on, if we believe sin's past. <laughs> Harry invites Peter, who instantly knows something is amiss, but can't refuse the invite. He picks up Gwen at her house and they walk over to Norman's place. They greet Norman, Harry and MJ, and the evening proceeds reasonably normally until Norman starts to create a conversation and centre it solely upon Peter. As the tension builds, Peter excuses himself to make a call to Aunt May and makes a smoke bomb out of his webbing and tosses it on the fire. When the smoke starts, Peter evacuates Harry, MJ and Gwen, but Norman says he doesn't need to find Peter. Peter will come to him when he kills Aunt May. Fight him at Feitenstein! Peter dons his Spider-Man costume and Norman that of the Green Goblin, and Spidey swings over to Aunt May's house. The Goblin, with his glider, has already made it, and Spider-Man swoops in before the Goblin can reveal his identity to Aunt May. After trading a few blows in which Spider-Man is outclassed, the Goblin tosses a psychedelic pumpkin bomb. Pumpkin bomb! Pumpkin bomb! Can't get me with a pumpkin bomb! That's for Mike Bailey. Uh, which causes Peter a bad trip in which Spider-Man faces his fears. 
fighting free of the effects of the gas he realizes he knows how to defeat the Green Goblin. Spider-Man, now resolute, uses his webbing to pull the Goblin off his glider and goads him. With anger clouding the Goblin's judgment, Spidey rips his man bag from his shoulder and uses his own psychedelic pumpkin bomb against him. Under the influence of the psychotropic drug, Spider-Man convinces Norman that Spider-Man bad, Green Goblin worse, and Norman's fragile mind snips. Unable to bear even looking at Spider-Man or the Green Goblin, Norman tears off the costume and cowers away from Spider-Man before passing out. Removing his mask to make Norman feel more comfortable, he swings across town for a change of clothes for both of them and then deposits Norman back at the hospital. Harry, MJ and Gwen arrive and Peter and the girls head to the coffee bean for some java. The danger is past, the night is young and Peter Parker has two gorgeous girls on his own. So why can't he just enjoy the moment? Because it wouldn't be a Spider-Man story if he did, would it? No. He's always got to mope about something. Uh, page the one and two. The tide. Nobody <laughs> knows. Trouble I've seen. No. No, they really don't. Okay. Uh, pages one and two are a huge splash page done over two pages that you don't normally see in regular comics of this time period due to the way that they're printed. With the advent of recap pages, they do this a bit more nowadays. Have a two-page splash, don't they? Mm-hmm. In fact, they just have lots of stupid splash pages throughout modern comics just to pad out the storyline. Well, uh, in page three, even the goblin mask looks surprised that Norman's the goblin and it even doesn't even have a mouth. Well, the mask doesn't have a mouth, though, but... It's always one of those. Bumhole, yeah, it's always one of those things with the Green Goblin's mask in that it's got big white eyes on the mask that, with pupils in them. Yeah. So how does Norman see out of that? I always thought that you just kind of turn a blind eye to the Green Goblin's mask. Yeah. You just kind of accept it because the Sam Raimi movie apparently they did do a test using a more comic-like costume, and they made it look pretty good, and they still ended up going with the Power Ranger costume. Yeah. which is a real shame because that's one of the weak points of that movie uh, page 4 and through 6 are slightly problematic from a continuity standpoint ostensibly a flashback to Spider-Man's first battle with the Green Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man 14 it bears little resemblance to that story for one thing the Goblin is on his glider here whereas he was rocking the broomstick in his first appearance secondly Spider-Man's battle with the Goblin was quite limited due to the presence of the Enforcers and the Incredible Hulk and didn't even take place in New York okay I thought that was a bit odd for maybe the Hulk and the Enforcers are off screen they're just buildings it could have been any city this Amazing Spider-Man 14 took place in the New Mexico deserts there aren't any buildings there is now <laughs> but it just suddenly appeared yeah. I mean granted we do get to see some excellent Ramita Spider-Man versus Green Goblin art so I can live with the trade-off besides in terms of this story it is only here to bring readers up to speed on who the Goblin is and what he can do rather than pretending to be an actual flashback so I'll, I'll give it a pass because I'm nice like that I really but am on page 6 yes oh yeah you haven't heard the last of me, Spider-Man. Someday, somewhere, when you least expect it, I'll be back to finish you forever. Next Xmas. <laughs> you doing future armor on me? Yeah. Oh dear. Page seven, which follows six. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, uh, Ramita does an excellent job with Norman's seizure and collapse, totally selling the idea this man is cracking up physically and mentally. The panel of Norman on the first page is really good. I just, I'm just not a fan of the colouring, though. I mean, I know they're in a darkened theatre, so there's not really a lot else they could do with that. But I think the art's a bit hampered by the colouring, which is a shame. I thought. 
Did you have no opinion on the colouring? I, I didn't really. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, page eight has um, a line from George Stacey where he says, Norman has always been close to Harry. <laughs> uh, yeah, since when? Yeah. Um, I recall Norman being, by and large, an absent father to Harry, with Harry caring about him far more than Norman cared for Harry. This changed a little bit following his amnesia in Amazing Spider-Man 40, uh, where he tried to make up for lost time, but as much has been made in the intervening years of Harry's strained relationship with Norman. So I don't know where George gets that from, unless it's all just part of his act. Yeah. That people just think that he's close to his son when really he couldn't give a monkey's chill. Is Harry still in comic? Uh, yes, Harry is now alive again, although he took off at the end of a story arc yeah. after Brand New Day and hasn't been seen since. He took off after he found out that What's Her Face was pregnant. Yeah. And that. And that she was a goblin of some description, wasn't she? Menace. Yes, Menace. And that the baby was Norman's. Yes. So Norman's getting busy with two of Peter's girls. Yeah, Peter. Norman gets around a bit now, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a bit strange. So bringing him back to life to kind of Send shuffle him, him off, off again, yeah. That really makes much sense, does it? Not really. Anyway. Uh, page three. Panel three. The conversation between George Stacey and Joan is quite funny. Where he says, if you ask me, Osborne's been working too hard. He needs a good vacation. He should seek psychiatric help, said George. Balderdash, never seen me going to head shrinker. Too bad. What's that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I thought that was quite funny. Why is he British? Uh, because I can do a better <laughs> British accent than I can New York. New York. We got those utes. That's, that was terrible. <laughs> what gender? We need to say Palmiati. <laughs> yeah. You can't say that in not a New York accent. Palmiati. Palmiati. Uh, pages 9 through 10, in contrast to the last flashback, this one at least bears some resemblance to Amazing Spider-Man 39 and 40. Peter wasn't... Give me a hug. Why do you think he said give me a hug? Because <laughs> he's got his arms out like that. You're just wrong <laughs> on so many levels. Um, Peter wasn't best friends with Harry at this point, despite what he may recall in this flashback. And it's much truncated from the two issues, obviously, but the main story beats are the same. On, on page nine, what would the shock really kill Aunt May? Uh, I'm used to Lee writing all women to be scared of anything, like Sue Storm. Oh no, I'm scared of that. Have everything, Cloud. <laughs> but but would it really kill her? Uh, well, Lee always played with the idea that Aunt May had a dicky ticker. <laughs> so, <laughs> she did. so there was the real possibility she could go at any minute. Right. And Peter was always just deathly afraid that the shock of finding out he was Spider-Man would kill her. We never actually saw any evidence that well, it would. What, why is she not dead yet, then? It's like, Gah, there's a green goblin outside my house, because I've never seen anything like that living in New York. <laughs> and also, no one saw Peter flying across New York with his costume showing? Um, no, they didn't. He does it all the time and no one's noticed yet. Nobody noticed him. Right. They establish in the issues that yeah. his pumpkin bombs created lots of smoke. Oh, oh right. And the Aunt May just thought that it was a fog of smoke. the other way, smoke. And then when the goblin carted him up into the night, he took him high enough up that no one saw him. Right. In a city full of hundred-story buildings yeah. and aeroplanes and helicopters and, and such like. But yes, <laughs> I, 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 I get your point. I just prefer to ignore it because it trashes an excellent and classic storyline. Why are they not naked? Oh, you've just ruined Terminator 2 for me, Michael. Yeah, paid, you did, no, Terminator 3D, you ruined for me. Yeah. The ride. Well, you pointed out something I'd never... There's so never many flaws. Yeah. They're like, watch this is really good, this is really good, this. And we came out and Michael said, yeah, except for the flaw that they were time-travelling with clothes on. Yeah. And it was one and of those... motorbike. Don't! Moments. 
where you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Damn you! Pages 12 and 13 of this comic. Ramita does some really subtle things with the arty. Did you notice this? I did. It leaves the background images in Norman's dream uninked. It's a really good effect. Well, I didn't really notice it was yeah, inked. They're just the pencils. I didn't notice it. It's it, not inked. It, it looks as black as the inks, really. And on the next page as well, where he realises the Green Goblin isn't dead. He never died. I am the Goblin. And that shot of the Green Goblin behind him yeah. is just pencils. Okay. I thought that was really good. Um, and he carries this on as Norman storms out of the hospital. Storming Norman. Uh, storming Norman bullies his way out of the hospital, just tosses Harry aside as if he doesn't matter, throws one of the doctors around and nobody thinks, wait a minute, this is a little bit odd. Um, and he, he just carries this on over the next couple of pages where Norman just looks completely unhinged and he's sweating and that funny Osborne hers going on. What is that her, really? I don't know. It's, it's good, the artwork's brilliant. Uh, we get to page 17. Ah, Gwen. Gwen Stacy was long dead by the time I started reading Spider-Man comics. But I always liked Gwen. I never thought she was boring. Did okay. you? Or did you just not have enough knowledge of her to, to say either way? The only knowledge I have is Ultimate. See, fictional characters are only as boring as the writers writing their stories. So if somebody thought Gwen was boring, then they had to do should have done something interesting with her. Yeah. Killing them off is cheap and easy. Or I think it is. Um, besides, it's drawn by Romita. I could Rominetta. <laughs> Screwed up his name though, sorry. She was undeniably gorgeous, Gwen. Here she's resplendent in her 60s go-go boots, above the knee pencil skirt and flowing blonde hair with bangs. And of course, she has the black headband on. If Sin's past is to believe, she even wears it in bed. Okay, that's, that's true, that. Of course, Sin's past isn't to be believed and never happened. No. Good. Want proof? On the very next page, page 19, it's night time. She's walking home with her boyfriend. We know that she's in on her own because George Stacey's not around at the minute. Mm -hmm. And she says, do you want to come in for a coffee, Peter? It's, <laughs> it's still early. We all know what that <laughs> means, don't we? We, we do. In perhaps the worst piece of characterization ever, Peter blows that off. Yeah. Peter says, no, I'd rather go and find the Green Goblin. And you're like, what? Surely you could have gone in for a bit. <laughs> Besides, that, that alone could have rendered Sin's past completely null and void, which would have been worth it. Mm. Well, back on page 17. Mm. Uh, it, it's hard to think of the, the Goblin <laughs> scary or threatening when he looks all big-eyed and adorable like uh, that. Yeah, the the top of page 17, the Green Goblin doesn't look quite as scary <laughs> as he does when Norman Osborn's just got a scary face. You should just leave the mask off. Yeah, and especially there's a little discontinuity gap here. If you have a look at his mask on the top of page 16, he's got eye holes and a mouth. Yeah. Whereas prior he didn't. But that does beg the question, what the hell happens to Norman <laughs> Osborn's eyes when he puts the mask on? He injects a drug <laughs> into his eyes. So his eyes go <laughs> like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Oh, dear me. Very funny. Page 19. Yes. Peter's being attacked by a ginger kid. Oh, you really must stop the persecution of the ginger but look, people. It, 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 he's terrified of the kid. Yes, he is. He's terrified of this ginger child <laughs> throwing, throwing her a toy airplane at, at him. The kid's actually quite funny where he tries to tell everyone, that guy just climbed up a tree! And they're like, shut up, ginger child. I, I climbed a tree too. <laughs> I climbed a tree as well. Um, page 21. Uh, were Peter's dreaming. 
and the Green Goblin is taking Spider-Man roughly from behind, having ripped his mask off in front of Aunt May, who's having a heart attack. There's so many things going on in that picture. Yeah. Um, it's an awesome splash. The look of stark terror on May's face as the Goblin malevolently drops an unmasked Spider-Man in front of her is awesome. I think the art in this is great. I really do. You're not a fan, are you? Over me, sir. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Mm. I liked it. But Why doesn't he come under your this guy's old fashioned like George Perez and some others do? Um, it's, it's not George Perez. There's some George Perez stuff which I quite like. Was it Jurgens? Dan Jurgens? Oh yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I why like does Ramita get a bit of a pass? Because he just does. When <laughs> it is, if you compare the the finished product with the color, it probably looks a lot worse than the pencils did. Yeah, see, that's the only trouble, isn't it? The pencils do always look better. It does look... All the lines look smooth and everyone looks good and... I just like it. Yeah, it It, is. It's just... It's not as spidery as Steve Ditko's stuff. Well... But, you know... I'm sure we'll be coming back later. Yes, yes, okay. But, um... Do you think the jealousy that Gwen Station would have of being blown off for a guy in skinny green uh, tights would cause her to throw herself off a bridge uh, before Peter goes out to save her and snaps her neck. Okay, I understand the story doesn't go like that, but Peter still does kill Gwen. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. She dead no. before she reached the floor. It says so well, in the comic. Even though Stan said afterwards that... It also says snap. Yeah, it says snap. Yes. Snap equals... You know. See, I've always been a bit... What's it about that? My thing with that is if that did indeed happen, I'm glad Peter Parker doesn't know it. Because that would just bring him to the brink of suicide, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, still talking about this comic, because all of those events have not yet happened yet. Pages 23 and 24. One of the criticisms I've read of the Lee Romita era of Spider-Man, directly following Ditko's departure, is that either Romita's plots weren't as detailed, or Stan wasn't giving him as much to work with, so the panels on the page got bigger. Whilst I adore the Lee Romita era of Spider-Man, it is, it has to be said, a fur criticism. It's never been more apparent than these couple of pages. The extra space does give Lee a chance to play with pacing in a way that he never got to do in the comics, at least until the 40-page Silver Surfer story started. And it does open the art up, but this is quite definitely padding, isn't it? Yeah. There's no other word for it. It isn't as egregious as decompression, because at least here we're getting a full story for our money, but I suppose an argument could be made, therefore, that once again Lee was ahead of the curve. He was already decompressing his stories. Yeah. <laughs> He was godlike, wasn't he? Mm. Um, on page 28, because having had that little interlude of Spider-Man just flying around the city trying to find the Green Goblin, and the Green Goblin just watching him from afar, we get a moment where I adore George Stacy. Uh, I do, because George knows that Peter's infatuated with Gwen, and he hasn't got a clue what he just said to him, because he's just busy eyeing up Gwen. Yeah. Um... I also like that George tells Peter not to have Gwen home late. Uh, That's a lovely little parental it, touch. He'll, he'll just brush her off anyway. Yes, he will. He'll, he's too busy thinking about men in green tights. <laughs> yeah. um, Gwen once again looks pretty hot. She's traded up to a red mini dress and fishnets. There you go. Just for you, she's wore fishnets. Uh, I'm flattered. I'm not sure about that coat, though. I don't think that goes with the ensemble, does it? Well, we're, we're guys. <laughs> we wouldn't understand fashion. Hey, kids, comics are fashion podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Page uh, 28. Yes. 
Uh, Gwenda, you look just like a walking sensible pinup. Just not the type of sensible in those magazines I'm holding for, um, uh, Harry. Well, they were roommates at this point, weren't they, Harry and Peter? Yeah. So it, it's entirely possible that there are Corruption of the innocent. Hey, Peter, look innocent. at these. Yes. Mm. Speaking of stance Excuse me, writing, I want to go play with my chemistry set. <laughs> which he digs out occasionally, according to a recent issue of Avenging Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, page 29, speaking of Stan Lee's writing, I think he's actually quite good here. He's getting across the idea that Gwen and Peter are very much in love and are even contemplating marriage, ironically. One of the reasons she was ultimately killed off. Um, this is why Sin's past is such a crock. A well-written crock, but a crock nevertheless. Can you really see the Gwen and Norman of this story having any kind of physical relationship? No. She barely acknowledges that he's alive. It's ridiculous, that story. Have you read Sin's Past? Yep. What did I, you think I read of it? All the, um, I didn't think it was as bad as everyone else did. I knew what I was reading was quite... Off. Yeah. Disgusting. But Repulsive. No, no. Repugnant. I, I didn't think that because... <laughs> I knew it was off, but it wasn't as bad to me because I hadn't been reading it for so long, God reading these characters as much like you have. Yeah, Gwen Stacy is just this mythical dead bird to you, isn't she? Yeah. That page, by the way, page 29 is definitely Frank Gaiacoya, not Jim Mooney. You can tell by Peter's face, though. Okay. Alright, I can. Anyway. Uh, page 30. Murray Jane shows up, sporting her short, curly bob, rather than the long hair and bangs she traditionally sports. Ramita gives Mary Jane a more classically va-va-voom figure than Gwen. And she's not afraid of emphasising her curves, sporting a skin-tight yellow thigh-high dress. Did you recognise that as being Mary Jane with that hair? Um, only because someone said it was Mary Jane. Oh, right, OK. See, I like that. OK. I, I don't think a fashion model like Mary Jane would have the same hairstyle for 40 years. <laughs> it's not very likely, is it? Probably not. Probably I not. I don't think she'd stay looking that young for 40 years myself, though. Well, in Marvel times, only been about five. Hasn't I'm, I'm still quite curious as how Nick Fury's been the same age ever since World War Two. He has a serum. Does he? Yeah, it was oh, established in Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. Right. That he has a serum that keeps him young and vital. Oh, okay. So he's a druggie, <laughs> basically. That's just what I'm saying. Uh, Norman enters from behind, <laughs> which freaks Peter out a bit, and also, uh, as it would, blows another hole in Sin's pack. Oh, shush, Penfold. <laughs> Page thirty-one. Ramita does a, a really skillful job with the art, telling the scene in extreme close-ups in the top three panels. Uh, although this issue is committing one of my pet peeves. Uh-huh. Something obviously I didn't notice when I originally read it because it was in black and white. Peter doesn't have blue eyes. Peter Parker has brown eyes. Okay. Bugs me when they colour his eyes wrong. I don't know why. It's just one of those little things that irritates me. Page 34, as the story progresses, I always love the little touch that Peter has to take his shoes off to wall crawl. Yeah. I like that. I think that's really cool. I think Ramita invented that. But yeah. I could be wrong. I don't think he ever did that in the Ditko ones, to be honest with you. Uh, page 36. Norman has to leave the party, run down the street, find one of his secret hidden hideouts, and then change clothes. Okay. I suppose it does make sense that he doesn't keep his Green Goblin stuff at home. Yeah. But this does seem like a bit of a time waster. And given the speed that Spider-Man can move, could he not have caught him before he got there Either and then we've lost 20 pages of story yep yes fair enough ah the, you will tremble before the Greek uh, 
Friday. <laughs> You'll tremble God, before back. Norman Osborne. Oh dear. Page 40. I quite like that the goblin has a corkscrew in his glider, glider. Although that, the top of panel, the top of the full page splash with the goblin riding off, that, that looks a bit wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> riding atop his giant corkscrew. Where it's coming out of the art just looks very, very bad. Yeah. In my humble opinion. Yes. It's silly, sure, but it's fun at the same time. In fact, this extended fight scene taking place over 15 pages is replete with simply awesome Ramita artwork. The shot of Spider-Man punching the goblin on page 42. The shot of Spider-Man climbing the wall on page 43. The acid trip hallucination on pages 45 and 46, which is a two-page splash. And the final battle, all taking place in his mind, is really well realised. Let's not forget the mighty Stan Lee, who plays the melodrama of these pages for all it's worth, with Peter really torn up about the fact that he can't see any way to win. The goblin knows who he is. The only way out is to kill him, which he simply can't do. And then on page 48, we have a classic hero moment, the scene where the hero realises what he's got to do and is resolute in his desire to do it. I really enjoyed it. Well, I quite like that on the page 43, the goblin's got himself an LSD lantern. Has he? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really quite fond of uh, pages 45 and 46. What, the two-page splash? Yeah. It is good, that, isn't it? My thing with this is, though, is you and Mum, you, you keep telling me not to try drugs and yet you're giving me comics like this, which are... This is why I didn't have to do them. I was reading this. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to do drugs when this is your reading material. Hey, hey, guy, want to smoke this? Nope, thank you, I've got some Grant Morrison back issues. No, thanks, I've read Silver Age comics. Uh, page 51. It seems quite obvious from the final three panels on this page that Spider-Man is stronger and more powerful than the Green Goblin, and the only thing holding him back is that it's Harry's dad under the mask. He can't bring himself to do it. He can't bring himself to do it, which has always been the Goblin's strongest psychological weapon. Um... Because there is a, a huge debate, a mass debate, if you will, amongst Spider fans as to who is Spider-Man's greatest bad guy. And the Green Goblin always comes on top by dint of the fact that A, he knows who he is, mm-hmm. and B, he killed Gwen Stacy. I think it's Peter Parker. Is Spider-Man's greatest adversary? Yep. Why? Well, because think of how many things Spider-Man could have done for the better if only he hadn't been guilt-tripped by his conscience. So you're saying a consciousness-less Spider-Man would just would, would be a better Would have got the job hero. done quicker and more efficiently. How many people has Green Goblin killed because Spider-Man the did Green the Goblin's job right not here. actually a psychotic killer. He's not the Joker. By and large, the Green Goblin wasn't just a, an abject psychopath. He was insane, but he wasn't a murderer until he crossed that line and murdered Gwen Stacy. I don't recall him actually killing anybody prior to Amazing Spider-Man 120. Okay. I could be wrong because that's purely from memory, but I don't remember him killing anybody mm. beforehand. He wasn't, you know, averse to kneecapping a couple of people. Yeah. Certainly in the early issues where his entire raison d'etre was to run the Gotham, the Gotham, the New York Underground. Fair enough. Or Underworld, I suppose I should if, say. If, if Spider Man had done the job here, we wouldn't have had any that dark rate. That's or true. Dark Avengers taking over. Ah, and, well, that's that's later. We'll cover that next week. Hold on to that thought. The Dark Avengers? No, for Norman Osborne and all that stuff. Hold yeah. on to that for next week. Um, page 52. Uh, it still doesn't stop him being incredibly ruthless. 
actively relying on the fact that Norman is mentally ill. And I'm not making this up. Spider-Man actually says in panel two that this entire plan of his hinges on the fact that Norman is clinically insane. Yeah. Um, It seems a bit dubious to me. It really does. Now, on one hand, the argument can be made that this is for the greater good. That an enraged and insane Green Goblin is no good for anyone. However... There is an element of selfishness to Spider-Man's actions here. And it can be seen that he actively manipulates a clinically insane man to cover his own secret. Or, I'm reading too much into it, obviously. Sounds plausible. You just didn't... What's his name of that, did you? You didn't give that any thought, did you not? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Page 56. Armchair psychologist Peter Parker correctly deduces that the psychotropic hallucination will not only close Norman Osborn's mind and obliterate all knowledge of his secret ID and that deliberate exposure to the gas will continue to affect his mind, hopefully permanently. How does Spider-Man know all of this? Because he's the fourth cleverest person in the Marvel Universe. Well, I'm sure that he is, but his degree is in generic comic book science, not supervillain psychotropic drugs and their effects on the mind. So I, I wasn't entirely convinced how Peter came to this conclusion. Yeah, at this point in the story, I wasn't exactly reading it. I was more looking at it going, whoa. <laughs> what were they on? <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is nothing. You really need to read Ditko's Doctor Strange stuff. Okay. That's psychotropic drugs. And he was and he was perfectly lucid when he did that. Ditko never did drugs. Uh, page 57 is a really nice touch. Peter phones his aunt to tell her that the danger is over. Only to have Aunt May say she's not going to clue what he's talking about. Yeah. I like this. I thought this was a really subtle commentary on the fact that teenagers all think the world revolves around them and their problems. And what is of paramount importance to Peter is of no interest to anybody else. No. Josh Whedon would build his TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer around that entire idea teenagers think everything's the end of the world and yeah for Buffy it was mm-hmm. and that going to school is hell and for Buffy Literally. it was yeah so that's alright page 58 we have a typical Stanley Spider-Man ending even in victory Peter can't help but worry about the future and you know he's walking off into the sunset with Gwen and Murray Jane what is he panicking about three way yeah He's worrying that them two will get into it and he'll just be shunned there to watch. <laughs> Don't see me objecting. Um, the more adult-orientated target audience of this magazine is evidenced in the adverts. There's a full-page ad for Jade East Aftershave, Kawasaki Motorcycles, Teeth Whitener, a cordless vibrator. <laughs> really? Uh, really, a cordless vibrator. Let me just uh, show you the advert there for a Fredericks cordless vibrator apparently it's a, a neck massager oh right yeah. but look at that <laughs> look at the picture in the advert for a cordless vibrator and you tell me what that looks like <laughs> looks like a cordless vibrator it does indeed yes batteries not included uh, there's an advert for engagement rings and hemorrhoids <laughs> I don't know who they were aiming this magazine at Engagement rings and vibrators. And hemorrhoids. Oh, dear God. Uh, as I mentioned above, my initial reading this was actually taken from the reprint of the story in Amazing Spider-Man King Size Special, actually annual number nine, which released on June 19th, 1973. A full two months after the Green Goblin murdered Gwen Stacy and then himself was killed. And five days and one year after I was born. Okay. 
just thought I'd mention that because the amount of issues that I've picked to cover this that have turned out to have been released on or around my birthday is actually starting to get quite scurry and it's purely coincidental oh yeah yeah. it is I don't look up bloody dates that they come out until I've got to put them in this show I don't remember issue numbers let alone dates things came out did you do uh, with Spider-Man I kind of do so essentially what you've got there is I read a reprint of a reprint alright wow everything's cyclical the cover of annual number 9 is a redrawn version of the cover of Spectacular number 2 which is a fine piece of art in its own right but not as good as the magazine simply because it's not painted have you seen it? seen what? the cover to annual number 9 no right well I will dig out my amazing Spider-Man official index to the Marvel Universe off the bookshelf because believe it or not I am someone who still uses books for research. Now, annual number nine. There's the cover to annual number nine. Yeah. And there's the cover to Spectacular Spider-Man. Right. So we did actually redraw it, because Spider-Man's pose is completely different. Spider-Man's standing on... And Spider-Man's actually standing on a web line, yeah, was in the originally just kind of hovering in air. And the goblin shooting fire, electricity, laser beams at him. Yeah. So, like I say, it's a perfectly wonderful piece of art that I wouldn't mind having a, a copy of the original art of if I could afford it. But it's just not as good because it doesn't... It's not painted, unfortunately. Um, in annual number nine, the first splash pages has the double page spread compressed into one and the dialogue altered slightly. Pages four and five, eight through ten and seventeen are omitted completely. And page eighteen has an added caption to cover up a scene transition. Page twenty-one is deleted and twenty-two again has the caption altered to cover this up. The bottom half of page twenty-two is omitted, as are pages twenty-three and twenty-four and the top half of page 25. This edit actually makes it look like Norman puts the Green Goblin costume on just to take it off straight away. He is mad, though, so I suppose we'll give him a pass on that. Pages 27 through 29 are again omitted, removing some nice Gwen Peter character moments, and a bridging caption is added to the top of page 30. An extra thought balloon is added for Peter in the bottom panel of page 32 to hide the fact that page 33 has been edited out. Page 36 has likewise been removed, and the double-page spread on pages 45 and 46, which Michael likes so much, has been redrawn to be a one-page splash in the annual. There's an additional caption on the last page explaining that Peter's morose mood may be because of his sense of foreboding concerning the Goblin and Gwen. Interestingly, or interestingly to me anyway, the reprint hasn't been recoloured as all the same mistakes, Peter's eyes still being blue, the Goblin's white glove on page 40 and various others, have not been fixed and even a few more have been added. Spider-Man has red eyes on page 28 of the annual, which reprints page 42 of the magazine, which he doesn't have on page 42 of the magazine. <sighs> what did you think of this, Michael? I enjoyed it. Okie doke, I'm going to put this back in its bag because it's important and we'll be back after we plug somebody else's podcast. All right. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist's thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, now a regular feature on Star Wars Monthly Monday, available the first Monday of every month 
at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. And we're back. Excellent. That's what I like. Bit of variety. Throw in a bit of variety into the show. And I will get... Ah! My Vagrant Killing Omnibus, copyright Stephen Lacey, to talk about our next pick, which is a major turning point in the life of Peter Parker and a great issue in its own right. Certainly one of the best covers in the history of the series. So let me leaf through to page to page 785 of my Amazing Spider-Man Omnibus uh, to Amazing Spider-Man issue 28 which was cover dated September 1965 and came out around the 8th of June 1965 I told you quite a lot of these ended up being on or around my birthday yeah. there was another one uh, the cover by Sturdy Steve Ditko is fantastic. It's almost monochrome with flashes of red and yellow. The newest bad guy, presumably the molten man of the cover copy, approaches Spider-Man who has his back to the audience. What makes this awesome is that it's all in darkness with only the red portions of Spider-Man's costume and the molten man visible. It's a Marvel pop art production! And the cover copy tells us that this landmark issue features Peter Parker's graduation. What do you think of that, Mike? It'd be better if the molten man was not so what, so Spider-Man's just doing an interpretive <laughs> dance on the cover of his comic, is he? Yeah. How do you mean the Molten Man's not on it? How would that be in any way better? Spider-Man fights a new villain. Okay. Nobody! <laughs> I think that Molten Man looks... He ruins the cover, I think. Why? Because his art style looks different to Spider-Man. Spider-Man looks pretty damn cool on that, but Molten Man's all not cool. Molten-y. He's just bright yellow, or Spider-Man's all cool on red lines on black <sighs> okay fair enough uh, I thought it was a great cover but it's not the first time we've disagreed uh, and it's a pop art production as I mentioned pop art productions was a reference to the then current trending topic of pop art in the art community that actually started in the UK in the late 1950s and in the US just a little bit later although both started independently of each other and Marvel jumped on the bandwagon for about five minutes here uh, as with all trends the publishing industry was already behind the times and only four issues of Spider-Man were published with the pop art banner okay didn't last long then did it entitled The Menace of the Molten Man which is great. It was written and edited with Loving Kerr by Stan Lee, plotted and drawn with Talent Rur by Steve Ditko, and lettered and bordered with a vacant stir by Sam Rosen. Who writes this? Stan. Oh, okay. He would do that with the credits quite a lot in these early uh, Spider-Man. Swinging Stan Lee. Swinging Stan Lee. Did swinging not mean something something different? <laughs> anyway. He was a player. He was, yeah. At school, Liz Allen blows Peter off. <laughs> Why? Why does that make you laugh? I, I don't understand. You need to explain that to me, Honda. And Flash gets the cold shoulder as well, which is a little bit out of character. But Peter has no time to ponder. It's graduation day, and the senior class, of which Peter is one, are given the afternoon off to sort out their caps and gowns for later. Peter, however, has other costumes on his mind, namely his Spider-Man costume, which is still at the house of Spencer Smythe, creator of the Spider-Slayer, following the confrontation as Amazing Spider-Man issue 25. Smythe invites Peter in to see the spider slayer, and it grabs Peter, but only because Peter is carrying a jar of spiders. Mm. Or so he says. Clever that, isn't it? Yeah. Good job he had some foresight, though. Smythe is distracted by the door, and Peter swaps his store-bought cheap costume for the original taken by Smythe. 
Mark Raxton arrives and they argue over the liquid metal alloy that they have developed together. Which struck me as a bit odd, because I didn't get that Mark Raxton was in any way intelligent, but whatever. Raxton is now out to sell it to the highest bidder, but Smythe is concerned that it isn't ready. He didn't seem overly concerned about his experiments not being ready when he unleashed a spider slayer on Spider-Man, but... <laughs> With a name like Slayer. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll let that go. In the ensuing fracas, Peter is captured by the spider slayer and unable to prevent Raxton from punching out Smythe, but he's doused in the alloy for his troubles. It seeped him to his skin, altering his cellular structure, and shocked, shocked, I tell you, he takes his leave to find a doctor. Peter frees himself with the web shooters and tends to Smythe getting Raxton's address in the process. On the way home, however, Raxton realises his newfound strength and goes on a rampage. Spider-Man corners him at home and it's, as you might have guessed, Fighty McFightenstein. Seven pages of Fighty McFightenstein. Instead of recapping Spider-Man hits Molten Man and Molten Man hits Spider-Man, let's just accept that Spider-Man wins and move on to later that day. Peter heads to graduation where he's awarded a science scholarship to ESU. Jonah gives a painful speech and Peter confronts Liz Allen about her mood. She says that she really had a crush on Peter, but he always saw her as a bit of an earhead. And maybe she was, but it's time for her to graduate in life also. Sadly, she bids Peter goodbye and leaves. Peter tolerates Jonah some more and walks off with May and Aunt Anna. The end of this chapter in his life, but a new one begins next month. Ooh, I liked this one. Uh, page one. The splash is fantastic, I thought. Uh, a trapped Peter Parker. He's tied up in some thick, stringy type stuff that is actually the arms of the spider slayer. Watches helplessly as a figure, presumably the Molten Man, steps into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and is encased in a white glow. To say it's great is redundant. Look at it. You have some magnificent Ditko hands. I love Ditko hands. Some weird Ditko tech and a great colouring job. Yeah, but Peter's got big lips. That's just the lighting, dude. Okay. I'm not having you dissing on Ditko. Well, he's either got big lips or a douche tash. <laughs> Maybe he's just not had a shave. Okay. For his graduation. Maybe he's going to have that later. Okay. Awesome. Page two. There's a little bit of subplot rapage here, which is cool. And Ditko's artwork is once again wonderful. It's easy to slag this off as old-fashioned. And it's true... The colouring of the printing don't help the art, but Midtown High feels like a bustling establishment, and Peter's suit's a little bit big for it, which I thought was a really nice touch, both hiding Peter's wiry but muscular physique, as well as being quite accurate for the time. Compared to Flash's preppy look or Liz Allen's 60 chic, none of this explains why Liz Allen is called Liz Hilton in panel 3. <laughs> Did you not notice that? No. Oh, dear me. Well, uh, the art looks a bit awful. What? Because... <laughs> Everyone oh. looks really weird. Like, the result of everyone's in the trash compactor and he was a little <laughs> bit late. So everyone's really, really thin with really thin heads that somehow gain really goofy faces. I'd, I'd prefer Kirby over Ditko any day. Oh, dear God. This is just... No! How can you say oh, that? Okay, panel two. Look at Peter's face. Good. Yes, he's a goofy, gawky teenager. And so is everyone else in this. They're all gawky teenagers. He's drawing a book set in high school. Even this the adults. This is 90210, where they're all 26 years old. <coughs> Ugh, the art is... Oh, dear, mate. Have you never read any Ditko stuff before? No. Is this shiny and new? Yep. Have you lived under my roof for 16 years and I've never thrown Ditko Spider-Man at you? Dad, I avoid it. Get out! 
Oh, I'll read Leave Remy to Spider-Man. But no, lead it, Kat. I know what happens. What? He gets bit by Spider-Man and stuff happens. He gets hit by Spider-Man. <laughs> That's a different thing entirely. Page three, to move on quickly from the awful art. Which it is. Uh, it's quite sneaky on the part of Peter, I thought, that he has a, a very definite plan to go in and get his costume back. And he's obviously given it a great deal of thought. Uh, for those that don't recall, for the past two issues, Peter was wearing a cheap Halloween costume he picked up from a store, and he brought it with him, and he's swapping it from the original. He doesn't view this as stealing, as the costumes is. Yeah. Do you go along with that? Yeah. Exchange being no robbery and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah okay, fair enough. I'll go with that. Well, uh, how convenient is it that the doorbell rang when you went to take the costume back? It is a tad convenient, but I don't mind. It doesn't bug me. It didn't bug me when I was 12 or 10 or whenever I really first read this, and it would bug me now. Okay. I can give it a pass. Uh, page five, look at Raxton. He already looks like a bad egg, doesn't he? Well. Under Ditko's pencils. It's a really nice touch that Peter gets trapped again by the sli- by slider player. <laughs> The Spider Slayer, but this time has no way of proving he isn't Spider-Man due to no longer having a jar of spiders in his hand. Um, does Raxton look a bit Kirby to you? A bit like Jack Kirby in he that looks, panel? He looks more like Kennedy, to be honest. Or Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. That's what he looks like. He looks like Kennedy. He doesn't look like bloody Kennedy. He does look like Kennedy. Oh, in right, you know, you're right. There's not a... Oh, <laughs> no. no. Uh, page seven. I thought it was a nice touch that Peter doesn't wear his web shooters under his costume. It keeps him in his pocket. Okay. I liked that. I thought that was good. Uh, the art's spectacular, especially on panel five. I presume you're going to disagree with me. Oh. That panel, uh, where Spencer Smythe's rubbing his head and going, oh. And it looked like both of them had turned into the molten man. It's just the colouring. <laughs> oh, do you know, I can't believe you're dowsing on Ditko. Page nine of this lovely issue. And I love my omnibus. I'm the okay. one stroking it today. Mm. <laughs> Uh, we see here that simply wearing a hat, a disguise can be achieved. You may mock, but David Tennant swears by this. Yeah, but David Tennant isn't made of a bright yellow metal. Although, I suppose they are living in a <laughs> yeah. New York here, so it's not the weirdest thing they'd have seen. No, no. And he, he does clearly say he's sticking to the shadows. Yeah. So it's not like he's just walking down the street. It's pretty good to be walking down Times Square. Hey, look, there's a naked man flying over me with wings coming out of his ankles mm. oh a big rocky monster yeah oh look that guy just burst into flame and took off <laughs> so uh, yeah I suppose this isn't a weird oh, thing oh look it's a Hulk <laughs> yes <laughs> oh dear the Hulk just threw a car at me uh, pages 10 through 16 were one of the longest sustained fight scenes in Spider-Man to this point and I thought they were wonderfully choreographed by Ditko and well written by Stan Lee. Spider-Man goes through the entire fight avoiding getting hit in the face so as to not show up at graduation or bruised, which was a lovely little touch. And the fight is as brutal as 60s comics got. Both Raxton and Spider-Man take a pounding and there's some brilliant sound effects. Bayonk, <laughs> Clop and Thack are all used liberally and there's the more obvious thud and thwip. I always pronounced it like that. Okay. Spider-Man's suggestion to play tiddlywinks that are kicking the crap out of each other's amusing, as is Spidey's realisation that Raxton's getting stronger as his, his hide hardens. Where the scene scores is in its final pages. Spidey lures the molten man to the basement and then, in an example of quick Spidey thinking, smashes the light bulb, rending the room in total darkness. 
Um, the art is really effective on these two pages with the blue of Spider-Man's costumes now all black and the spider sense lines rendered in white. Spider-Man ultimately defeats Raxton by using his brains. He ties the webbing around his ankles and wrists to keep him occupied until the webbing hardens and then he just leaves Raxton for the police. Um, how exactly the police are going to deal with him in about an hour when the webbing dissolves? Mm. That wasn't mentioned, was it? Uh, the armoured truck. He could probably bust his way out of an armoured truck. Do you not think? A Marvel armoured truck. Marvel armoured truck. Yep. What, made of adamantium? Okay. Or vibranium uh, okay. at this point? A, a Stanley-proof truck. A Stanley-proof truck. There you go. What did you think of the fight scene artwork, Michael? The fight scene artwork? It's awesome! Okay. That's how long... You can argue with me. So many flaws in this issue. It's just... <laughs> Where is the flaws? He's a man made of metal. He's not made of metal. He's got metal in him. He's, 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 his he's skin is now rock hard. Moving freely. And so... Okay. And I don't see your problem with suspending disbelief to accept the Molten Man. I'd prefer the Straczynski Molten Man where he was molten and then ended up dying he wasn't, because of himself. He wasn't the Molten Man, though. I'm sure it was. No, Straczynski made up somebody else who had exactly the same powers. Oh, right, okay. Then. Which was pretty much... Very stupid. Uh, page 18. Despite what my illustrious co-host may say, I think Dick Cudd draws great faces and the expressions in Jonah and the class of 65 are great. In another Stan goof, Aunt Anna Watson calls Mary Jane her daughter. Okay, then. Which you probably didn't oh, I, catch. I, I, I do Did find that. that one? I know. I, I found it quite funny, though, here. Luke May. There he is. It's Peter. Oh, isn't he handsome? Let's wave to him, dear. I just found it funny. So, like, she brings her neighbour with her everywhere and then just... She's her friend! Okay. What's wrong with that? Taking your friend with you. I quite like that. Uh, I also like how manipulative Jonah is. Peter sold pictures to a rival newspaper and Jonah tries to woo him back. Yeah. Peter sees through it, but is distracted by Liz. I love these final pages. I really do. I thought this was a really nice inversion on the way Marvel... Uh, yeah, Marvel Comics normally went. In the, It's very Empire Strikes Back. In that the fight scene's in the middle. Okay. And then the ending's just lots of character bits, which um, I thought was a really nice touch. Page 19. Liz is really sad. Aww. And despite her being a bit of a witch to Peter in the early issues, she really did develop as a character over the series, to the point where this is a real what-might-have-been moment for Peter. Liz Allen would disappear from the comic until issue 30, when she would meet Peter briefly on the street and then not be seen again for over 100 issues, resurfacing in issue 133, where we'll find out that she's the Molten Man's half-sister. Um, okay. Really. Now, that I think that was used to explain why they rushed away from graduation so quickly. Right. We've got to go, Liz. Your half-brother's just been arrested. Okay. But it's not mentioned here, obviously, so that's a, a retcon. Uh, the final panel is really good, and this is indicative of Marvel's approach at the time, and was quite a during move. Peter Parker's graduation set the template for Marvel changing and developing their characters. In the next few issues, some characters, notably Liz, who has been a staple in the supporting cast since the beginning, disappear, and new ones are introduced, including two who will have a major impact on the life of Peter Parker, Gwen Stacy and Harry Osborn. In the ultimate twist of fate, Harry would ultimately marry Liz Allen. Okay. Who, at this point, he's never met. Which I thought was Dad quite nice. I found it funny how at the end, JJ's chatting up Aunt May. <laughs> it, 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 it's funny how she's now married to his dad. You know, I didn't twig on that. That's actually a very good point. 
It's also ever so slightly gross. <laughs> in many, many ways. I like the two-page letters page. I didn't recognise any names, so I don't know if any of these people went on to, to bigger and better things. Um, other issues that were out this month, Fantastic Four 42, Avengers 19, X-Men 12, Daredevil 9, Thor 119, Strange Tales 136, Tales of Suspense 69, Astonish 71, and Sergeant Fury 21. And there is even talk on the letters page that they've changed the trademark because so many frantic fans have objected to calling our Marvel mags comics. So from now on, you will now be reading a pop art book. Wow. Yes. Did I mention that last rule? Four issues? <laughs> Why would you read a comic if you're going to object to, to it being called a comic? Yeah. It was the, the kind of pretentious people who call single issues floppies. And they're the kind of people I want to punch in the face whenever they do that. Floppies. I'll give you a floppy. No, floppy's what you are at night when your girlfriend needs you. Shut up! The comics, you ass! Anyway, um, whilst this issue is a major turning point in the life of Spider-Man and a true marker that set Marvel out from the competition of the time, I can't help but wonder if Stan Lee lived to regret this. Well, co-creator Steve Ditko has gone on record as saying that Spider-Man works best as a character as a high schooler. But he and Stan were still aging Peter in real time here. And Stan would quickly stop doing this as the years progressed, ensuring that he stayed in college for a much longer time than he stayed in high school. He'd graduate from college, kind of, in Amazing Spider-Man 185 in 1978. And the writers of Spider-Man have really struggled with this attempt to change and age the characters while still keeping him the same ever since. Um, I don't have a problem with Peter aging if that's the continued route the character's taken, and we do ultimately see him retire. In fact, for a while, my favourite Spider-Man book on the market was Tom DeFalco's Spider-Girl series, which has that exact premise. It followed Peter and Murray Jane's daughter, May. However, Spider-Girl was constantly under threat of cancellation, which always confused me. Because there was a, a very vocal group of fans that wanted Peter Parker to grow up and have kids. So why was that book constantly under cancellation? Why were they not buying it? That book was giving them what they wanted, an older Peter Parker. Yeah, why were they sulking at that? It wasn't about Peter Parker, though. Yeah, but that's the whole point, though. Okay. Ultimately, it doesn't become about you. It becomes about your children. Okay. What did they want? A 40-year-old Parker, Peter Parker still running around being Spider-Man? This is where the he has to age brigade lose me. There was a brilliant series of articles on spideykicksbook.com where uh, the guy who wrote it, whose name temporarily escapes me, but the guy who wrote it wrote a series of really good, well-written, well-reasoned arguments for why Peter Parker would age, and I didn't agree with a single word of it. Okay. I understood what he was saying, but he completely lost me at the end where he said, so you get Peter to about 35 and then stop aging him. What? How does that in any way make sense? So, uh, you age him until he reaches about 35, but then stop. You do a Logan drum. Yeah, so that's perfectly acceptable, is it? But leaving him at 19, that's not acceptable. I, don't, I didn't understand that argument at all. Okay. I can't wrap my head around that. It's, you have to age him past this, but then you stop at a certain age. No, a 35-year-old Peter Parker is no different to any other superhero. What made him unique was that he was a young man. Yeah. And I think he still needs to be a young man for the stories to work, otherwise there's nothing unique about him. Okay. But that's just my opinion. Other people do disagree. Because the truth is, as well, after Peter and Mary Jane married, Marvel didn't have a clue what to do with him. 
as a character. Mary Jane kind of de-evolved as a character and Peter just lived in this nebulous no-man's land where nothing happened until the clone saga. And wife-beating ensued. And wife-beating ensued. Um, Whatever you may think of clone saga, it gave Peter and Mary Jane a perfect ending. Peter quit and he and Mary Jane left New York for a new life where they could raise their child. And this was swiftly undone. Yeah. As Peter and Mary Jane again just ambled along in stories of no consequence and even less interest. The character was stealthily rebooted in 1999, a completely pointless exercise as nothing changed, and even the recent undoing of the marriage was handled cat handedly. Dan Slott's recent run on Spider Man has some of the fun of the late 60s, but he's hurt by the current Marvel regime characterisation of Peter, which frequently seems a bit off to me. Um, the bottom line, I think, is that Spider-Man broke the mould for superhero characters. And every teenage character that's ever been written ever since, even ones that predate him, like Dick Grayson as Robin, and newer ones like Robert Kirkman's Invincible, owe him a huge debt. But for me, Spider-Man's a different character, and one that's no different to all the others once he's out of his teens. Roger Stern found a way around this in his run. He had Peter return to school to finish his degree and thus maintain some semblance of running on the spot. I do wonder if Stan could see the future, if this issue would ever see print or if it would be something that he'd put off till much later down the line. Because in Ultimate Spider-Man, he stays in high school for the entire run, doesn't he? Um, yeah. Up till Peter Parker snuffing it. Mm-hmm. He's still in high school. One of the few things I actually applaud Brian Bendis for. Um, on its own merits, I enjoyed this. It was an entering, an enjoyable and entertaining read, famous more for its last couple of pages than the first appearance of the Molten Man, who never really graduated to the A-list, did he? Mm. To be honest with you. Am I boring you? No, I'm tired. <laughs> was it, did he stay on the M-list? Um, the Molten Man kind of... Because it, it, um, um, Yes. It, um, yeah, he is, he is. He's about that far down on the, <laughs> the food chair, to be honest with you. Uh, did you? Is it pointless me even asking you if you have an opinion on this? That's as much as we get. Yeah, it wasn't as good as the first one. The spectacular Spider-Man number two. Yeah, I can't believe you don't like Dick Cozart. And on that bombshell, <laughs> next week we'll be looking at the spin-off titles of Spidey's popularity soared, leading to books like Marvel Team Up, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man and other books, and I'll be picking a few of my favourites. Michael may contribute. I may. Uh, following that, some of my favourite books from the 80s. Following that, some of my favourite books from the 90s. And then week five, my all-time top ten Spider-Man stories. I enjoyed that. Uh, uh, that was the first normal show we've recorded in about five weeks, wasn't it? Yep. Say goodbye. Bye. used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this. 
much to the chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.